0: From movie set to multiplex. It's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson.
1: Jerry, don't let us for the moon. We have the stars. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus.
0: To infinity and beyond.
1: This is Simon Rose. You join us for The Business of Film, where I am, as ever, in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. So, James, seems almost bizarre now that cinemas are open again um, to be talking about proper box office. I mean, so long without it, it now seems rather unusual. And with such good news
0: to report oh, as well. Despite but, the sport. Well, yeah, depending on how you manipulate the figures. <laughs> right. Black Widow could be the biggest opening film of the year. According to the official ComScore figures, it scored £6.9 million in its first frame, Hmm. which makes it the hottest new film since the pandemic changed all our lives. However, Black Widow's figure includes two days of previews. Whereas Fast and Furious 9 only had one preview day. So Black Widow's so-called post-pandemic record is a bit of a cheat. Based purely on its weekend take, Black Widow is a whisper behind F9, but still a very healthy performer. Mm. So, have you seen it? Funnily enough, I have. You're probably aware that this is Because I know you'd have to drag
1: yourself screaming to a film with Scarlett Johansson in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay. So you're aware that it's not the 1954 remake of the Ginger Rogers Broadway set mystery, or indeed of the 1987 crime thriller of the same name with Deborah Winger and Teresa Russell. Black Widow is, of course, the pseudonym of Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson in, to date, eight marvel blockbusters starting with iron man 2 way back in 2010 she is a spy and jolly good at hand to hand combat trained in what is known as the red room a russian training program the new film black widow is the first solo outing for natasha what we call in the business as a standalone film and in fact an origins one So we dash back to Natasha's childhood, where she's played by Eva Anderson with blue hair, an actress who happens to be the daughter of Mila Jovovich and the British director Paul W.S. Anderson. Now, I'm a real stickler for detail, and Black Widow, the film, not the spy, gets a lot of the detail right, enough so that I was already making a mental note of catching the film at a later date, as there is so much in it. I know that I am in a minority when I say I was not a fan of Black Panther, or Avengers Endgame, or Avengers Infinity War, or Avengers Age of Ultron, as I felt like I was being battered over the head and suffered from a major sound effect-induced headache. But back to Eva Richardson, she actually looks like Scarlett Johansson. And we all uh, know. Ever what... Anderson. Yeah, Ever Anderson.
1: Yes. So he said Richardson. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry. Uh, thank you. Uh, different we all different know... dynasty. <laughs> yes. We all know. You see, we all know what Scarlett Johansson looked like at that age because mm. the actress has been a star since she played the young daughter of Kristen Scott Thomas in The Horse Whisperer, even though she looked nothing like Kristen Scott Thomas.
1: I've forgotten that was her. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I may be sticking my neck out here, but I suspect the reason Black Widow is so strong on the detail is because Kate Shortland is in the director's chair and she has the woman's touch. I say that because there is so much nuance in the domestic scenes and the badinage between Natasha and her younger adopted sister Elena, played by Florence Pugh. And Florence Pugh is another major bonus because in spite of her phenomenal hand-to-hand combat skills, you may remember her as the real-life wrestler in fighting with my family. She has a real puckish cheek about her that makes her entirely human. Like when she lets out a defiant, ha, which she does quite a lot, and questions her older sister on her trademark fighter pose when she has one arm on the ground and another in the air at right angles. It's like you think everybody's looking at you, she tells Natasha. You're such a poser. (laughs) It's taken nine films to reach this point, and I enjoyed it enormously as Kate Shortland's Black Widow deconstructs the Marvel pretensions. There are, of course, tons of -of edge-of-your-seat thrills and those annoying sound effects, but the human element gives it a distinction that many of the other Marvel films lacked above and beyond the bickering between Tony Stark and the Incredible incredible Hulk. And so the new film starts in leafy Ohio in the year 1995, where young Elena scrapes her knee and her mother, played by another English actress, Rachel Weisz, tells her that pain only makes you stronger. The girls have also been told that one day they will be going on a great adventure, which happens all too soon as their father, Alexei, Played by Lily Allen's husband, David Harbour, comes home looking troubled. Moments before William Hurt turns up, accompanied by an army of cops with all guns blazing. But Rachel's Malena, who we find out was also trained in the Red Room, and Alexei seem well prepared for this eventuality. Piloting their own private aircraft as they set off for Cuba, with Alexei still hanging onto the plane's wing. This, of course, is no ordinary family. We jump forward 21 years and find Natasha still on the run from William Hurt, but always one step ahead, ending up in Norway. In cr- contrast, Elena is now in Morocco working as a sniper under con- under the control of the Red Room's General Dreykov, played by Ray Winston with a very interesting accent. It gets complicated, but Ray Winston is controlling an army of. Ha, female... Have we
1: ever heard Ray Winston saying an accent other than his own before? I'm
0: trying to think. Oh, he must have done. He and must he's have not done, very but like... good. And the critics have been rather cruel to him. Oh, right, deservedly okay. so. He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a shame. It's an actor I like. Well, he he can be good when he's doing his own thing, but mm. he's controlling an army of female assassins. With a form of mind control which can be neutralized with a certain substance contained in a set of files which Elena has sent to Natasha in Norway but you don't need to know all this other than Natasha and Elena are forced to reunite and dash all over the globe picking up their parents as they go so that they can all resume their various differences but even after all these years, Rachel Weisz still criticises Scarlett Johansson for her slouch at the dinner table. I was really beginning to feel sorry for her. And all she's trying to do is save the world. As you can tell, I this is the most enjoyable Marvel film I have seen for a long while, Simon.
1: I enjoyed um, Scarlett Johansson's first appearance as Black Widow, which I think was was in Iron Man too, wasn't it? When she it was, was being interrogated, and that girl. was fantastic. It wasn't very long. Great fight. But I have lost, really, any willingness to see Marvel films after the last few that I have seen. Maybe or this you will be the one that me. drags me back in again, but the last few have just been staggeringly... You practically need a degree in the Marvel Universe to be able to understand what's been going on. That's assuming that there is actually anything much going on apart from lots of noise and fury.
0: Indeed. Indeed. This changes that. I I think, that, as I say, Kate Shortland directing it, much like Patty Jenkins when she directed Wonder Woman. Mm. uh, I think they work better for an overall audience. And I like a female superhero. Mm. And the fact I think it's really good sense to actually get a woman director to direct these female superhero films like Patty Jenkins, who is a very fine director. And indeed, Kate Shortland, who directed Somersault with Abby Cornish which is when I first mm. was aware of Kate Shortland. But we've got two other films to review. But let's zip through the chart. If okay. We may.
1: Yes, please.
0: Uh, right. Uh, number two, which was at number one last week, Fast and Furious 9, with £1.1 million, with a total of £13,064 thousand quid, down 59%. Peter Rabbit two at number three, which was at two, down 34%, with an 18.3 million pound Q a A Quiet Place part two, which was at number four, still holding strong at number four, down 39%, for a 10.9 million pound total. In the Heights was at number five, Uh, Is that number five? It was at number three. It's down 50% for a 3.8 million total. Cruella was at number five. Now at number six, down 46%. Number seven, we've got the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is holding quite strong. It was at number seven, still at number seven, with a total of 3.5 million. At number eight, the ever popular The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is still holding strong at number eight with a total of 9.1 million quid freaky dropped amazing mm. 68% from number 6 to number 9 you like in, that in spite of excellent reviews from across the board and not that i read every critic but the ones mm. i did read yes. really liked it and indeed i did and we have another round down 52% at number 10. But bear in mind last weekend, weekend of course, we had the Euro final and the Wimbledon finals. So all things considered, these are actually not bad returns. Yes,
1: We should have maybe next week, have a look at how the, the, the cinema is comparing to pre-pandemic levels. I'm assuming it's it's lower apart from anything else. That even well, if everybody wants yeah. to go to the cinema, you could, they're not allowed to have full auditorium yet.
0: Indeed, but we do have four really big releases next weekend, The Crudes, 2, A New Age, Escape Room, Tournament of Champions, Space Jam, a new legacy and the forever purge all sequels and remakes Uh, a nice balance though of the child friendly and the ongoing reliable appeal of the horror Mm -hmm. genre
1: yes not many of those i think would appeal to me um james perhaps a moment though for us to take a very quick break
0: sharing ideas about money this is share radio
1: This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. So you mentioned you had another two films for review, having looked at the chart, which is led by Black Widow, which may or may not be the most successful film so far of the pandemic. (laughs) I suspect your view is not, but only
0: just by a whisper. So where are we going now? Well, I was writing the profile of Peter Sellers for a new book Mm -hmm. I'm working on, and I'd forgotten that he once directed a film The satire, Mr. Topaz, adapted from the play by Marcel Pagnol, it wasn't particularly well received and he never directed again. Mm. Likewise, a new film, which I didn't review for this programme, Land, was directed by the actress Robin Wright and was likewise rather dismissed by the critics, which is probably why I didn't bother to see it. However, without checking the reviews first, I did sit down and watch the new Netflix release, The Waterman, which marks the directorial debut of the actor David Oyelowo. It's an original screenplay by Emma Nadell and so impressed Oyelowo that he took it on as a producer. And when the director fell through, who remains unnamed, he took over the directorial reins as well. He he stars in it and he plays an ex-Navy man who moves to a lush backwater called Pine Mills with his wife, Mary, portrayed by Rosario Dawson, it's it's an unusual piece, and like a monster calls released four years ago, it's about a boy coming to terms with his mother's cancer and seeking the help of a mythical monster. Did you see a monster calls with Liam Neeson as a tree? <laughs> no, I, I mean, seem to remember good. you talking about
1: it for some reason with I Felicity
0: didn't... Jones. Very, it was a very good film. I just didn't know who. It was aimed for, but in tone, a monster cause and the Waterman could not be more different as a monster cause I felt was geared more towards adults and far too horrific for children, mm-hmm. like a Grimm's fairy tale gone all hammer horror. The Waterman of the title of O'Yelowo's film is a mythical being talked of by the children in the town and commemorated by graffiti. The story goes that he discovered a precious stone with healing powers with which he hoped to to revive the body of his wife, who was drowned along with the other folk when a dam burst. Our protagonist is Gunner, an 11-year-old boy with some remarkable gifts of his own, along with a voracious reading habit. He is a very talented artist and is concocting a graphic novel which devours his time and prevents him from comprehending the full extent of his mother's illness, who is suffering from leukaemia, a cancer of the blood and she would have it no other way. But once Gunner catches her in the bedroom without her turban on and sees she is bald, he goes into emotional free fall. Feeling distance from his father, who can never seem to do anything right, he decides to solicit the help of a local girl, Jo, played by the 13-year-old Amaya Miller, who is sleeping rough and charging the local children pocket money for recounting stories of the Waterman. So, Gunnar and Joe team up to embark on an adventure in the nearby woods to track down the waterman and enlist his healing powers. For Joe, of course, it is all a prank, although she is drawn to Gunnar as she has her own issues with her father. Essentially, a Yellow Earth film is an adventure for slightly older children, complete with beautifully drawn animated inserts reflecting Gunnar's own graphic novel and overtones of magic, which may or not be an extension of the children's imagination. It is a stunningly realised film, and the 11-year-old Lonnie Chavis is a most engaging presence, like Lewis McDougall in A Monster Calls, on the cusp of becoming a man but still young enough to believe in the curative properties of magic. And like the best of films, it is is full of telling detail, from the carefully choreographed colour scheme to the narrative links that tie the whole thing together. It is a very visual film, but very much of the present, although its treatment of such issues as cancer, child abuse, poverty, life after death and even threats to the environment are never over egged. They're just there. I think it's important for children to know, at least on a certain level, of the realities of their world and knowing that they can live with such realities with the aid of hope, kindness, and love. Not well, only- the one
1: Sorry, I was going to say, which is the one we normally sort of quote as being uh, excellent in this genre. genre. That's Bridge to Terabithia, was it called that? Is, that it, in, is yes. it in that same sort
0: of feel to it? Um, as I have said in reviews I have written on the film, I have compared it to Bridge to Terabithia. Right. Absolutely, yes. And we both love right. that, I know. Yes. We do, yeah. should
1: re-watch it, actually.
0: Okay. But um, The Waterman is a hugely enjoyable adventure, but a quite touching one as well. And I cannot speak more highly of the cinematography. The music, Rosario Dawson, of course, who is so wise and warm in this part, and of Lonnie Chavis, who recalls a young Will Smith and was the real reason, apparently, that O'Yellow-O, oh, agreed to direct the film in the first place and it is available on netflix now
1: so you'd call that what a fantasy adventure
0: yeah i think that's very much based in the real world as we know it now okay but you said you had
1: two so um what's yeah yeah,
0: yeah i'm sorry but you can only see luca If you have a Disney Plus account, which is a crying shame as it's such an inventive, joyful experience for the whole family. This is Pixar's 24th animated feature, and it's typically wonderful. Luca. I wonder why, now that cinemas have reopened,
1: and in the States they're open, I wonder why they've not made it available for
0: everybody. Yeah, I know, because Cruella, you can see in the cinema. Yes. But they've gone the Mulan route with this, and it's Pixar for heaven's sake. Anyway, Luca is a fish, or at least some indeterminate sea creature, believed to be a sea monster by the inhabitants of Porto Rosso on the Italian Riviera. Luca, likewise, is brought up to fear the land monsters and is given a very short leash. So there's the usual round of show crab contests and dolphin impressions. But Luca believes there is so much more to life. The strictest rule of all is never to be seen by those above. But when Luca accidentally knocks into a fishing boat, some magical treasures fall into the water and sink to the seabed, such as a spanner, a playing card, and most exciting of all, a gramophone Player. Mm -hmm. But when a fellow sea monster, uh, fish, nips off with Luca's newfound gems, Luca follows him all the way to the beach. Of course, Luca stops in his tracks, but at the beckoning of his new companion, he ventures onto the shore and is transformed into a human boy. Learning to walk is an issue, but the amazing thing is that whenever Luca is so much splashed or doused, his scales grow back. To cut a long story short, Luca and his new friend Alberto bond and challenge each other to explore this new wonderland bathed in sunshine and surrounded by trees and hills and vineyards and the like. And although they egg each other on to explore the nearby town, their fear of the human monsters never subsides. However, there is something even more magical than the Italian ice cream, gelato. You can sit on it and it takes you anywhere in the world. And it's called a Vespa. (laughs) The great thing about Luca directed by the Genoa born Enrico Casarosa is that it renews one's wonder in the world in which we live down to the simplest thing, like being able to see one's reflection in a bubble. Everything is magic. And I think that's what Pixar does so well. The film has been dismissed in some circles as being minor Pixar, which is probably why I didn't see it immediately. Um, it's a sentiment which I could not disagree with more. It not only teaches children about a huge about, about Italy and refuses to shy away from the use of Italian words and idioms. I learned that a pescheria is a fish market. Mm-hmm. I was making notes. But it also stokes our desire, like Luca, to learn. Let's just say, without giving too much away, that Luca learns an awful lot, such as the fact that the, the bright spots in the night sky are not fish, but they're little suns, and that the sky is full of galaxy, and that the universe is full of even more galaxies. Luca just wants to learn more and more. But of course, he's a fish but he wishes he were a human boy. And yes, P- P- Pinocchio is referenced in the film, as is La Strada by Fellini, who was an influence on the director on this. The usual wordplay, visual puns, and throwaway gags are all present and accounted for. In addition to a joyous soundtrack, Puccini, Rossini, and Louis Bakalov, with a wonderfully uplifting score by Dan Roma the American composer who went from beasts of the Southern wild to beasts of no nation and now explores the beasts of the Italian Riviera. The animation is, as one would expect, a total joy, bringing the Italian Riviera alive with its piazzas, its cobbled streets, fountains, and Juliet balconies, serving as a glorious travelogue for Italy. The other thing I loved about the film is that the dialogue just feels so fresh. Besides the inevitable confusions that arise when you're trying to understand an alien civilization, Luca and Alberto actually speak like real children, such as when Luca admonishes, we're going to die like a hundred times. And you can just hear a child saying that. Mm-hmm. But it's the message that other worlds and the inhabitants that reside in those worlds are not to be feared, but to be understood and to be befriended. And in an age when xenophobia is still an issue, particularly this week, Luca has a lot to say, even as it entertains and reinstates our lust for life. When it ended, I was just sitting there with a big smile on my face and just a great glow. And I can't wait to get it on DVD or Blu-ray. It's just a shame you can't see it on the screen because it is a visual delight. Much as- yeah, Sorry on.
1: James, I noticed this week Sainsbury's decided to stop selling uh DVDs and CDs It will no longer
0: be selling them. So um mm. clearly they are so not none of this world. So you can now really only see films in the cinema. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, oh, unless it's strange. I wonder Internet. why I wonder why um Pixar not released it. And I'm also trying to think, I mean, obviously you love this, with the exception of the Cars films, you which know, I never really liked, liked. I mean, No. has Pixar no. made any d- other Duff
0: movies, I mean, it's record is amazing, it, it is quite extraordinary. Who made the good dinosaur? I would have to look up Was that that wasn't Pixar?
1: I, I can't remember now.
0: Um, I didn't see that because I, I was underwhelmed by that, but, but that may uh, not have been Pixar, no, but just wonderful. I can it still was, remember okay. can... it was uh, Pixar, yeah. Oh, that okay. is the one time that they fell down, the good dinosaur. It was the second cartoon of 2015.
1: I don't know that one. I can still remember when we got the first sort of tiny short films from Pixar.
0: Oh, indeed, yeah.
1: Extraordinary. They are amazing. How far they have come in... not very long, I guess, certainly within our lifetimes. Anyway, so that is Luca, and it's available only on Disney+. Plus. But if you don't have that and you do have Netflix, there's always The Waterman. James, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I've been talking to James Cameron Wilson, who will be back with more Business to Film at the same time next week. I want to be alone
0: Wow <sighs> Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. (laughs) Aren't you?